Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And this morning, we were going through Exodus 33, and we will be putting that up. We also reviewed a little bit of Exodus 32 and 24 to try to bring these together. It's it's one book, Exodus, one of five, one of the five of the Torah, which is one of the most uniquely written books. But is it true? But more important as to whether is it true, do we understand the truth that is there? Or if there is truth, do we perceive it? Do we understand it? Do we grasp it? Do we, uh, do we know the truth that Moses was trying to impart to us? And the truth is, I don't think most people do. They know bits and pieces. But to know the whole truth is almost to know God. And as we saw in 33, to know God is almost impossible. To, to know Him, you know, nobody has seen God face to face. And, and of course, we're dealing with a, a number of uh, words that are describing. There's Yahweh, which they say is the name of God which I assume would be the identity or character of God, the representative, you know, Yahweh, we've talked about that before, is the existing one. But it is inferring and even saying in 33 that if you if you come face to face with the presence of God, you really see the whole truth, it'll be too much for you. It was too much for the Israelites. It was even too much for Moses. So whatever this is, that uh, this this light of God, you cannot receive the whole thing because you simply do not, at least at this time, have the capacity to do it. And we're very finite creatures. And God is supposedly first a spiritual creature. And uh, and I say creature, uh, entity, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't really grasp all of God. Anybody who says they do are probably a liar. But we have bits and pieces of it, and Moses shared a lot of those pieces with us in some unique ways. And by walking through the scriptures, we may get a little bit better idea. But what was becoming painfully ob- obvious in 33 is that, and I was also hearing it coming out of the Jordan Peterson seminar that it is very important that you do these things that God passes down to us to do in the biblical text of the Torah because in doing them we will have more understanding open up to us. Our eyes will be opened more and more and more. And if we don't do them then, according to Paul and according to parts of Proverbs and and David, that our eyes will, and Ezekiel, that our eyes will be darkened. We will be deceived. We will be led astray. 
So doing what he is saying will bring an advantage of its own. But then what is he saying for us to do? And this is, this is, ah, there's the rub. Because are we supposed to be piling up stones and setting sheep on fire? Uh, are we supposed to be cutting off pieces of our flesh? I mean, if we go to uh, numerous texts in the Bible, including Deuteronomy, what Moses is really emphasizing is a circumcision of the heart. Is our hearts circumcised? And he doesn't say that a priest can circumcise our heart. He says that God will circumcise our heart. So how does God circumcise our heart? Well, part of that is in the process of doing what God is telling Moses to tell the people to do. And so we've been trying to bring that into perspective because from my observations for the last almost three quarters of a century, most churches, most synagogues, most religions are not doing what God said. If they were, the world would not be in the state that is in. And of course, there is so much apostasy in all these different churches and denominations and religions so much apostasy that some people are saying they don't even believe in God. They don't believe there was a creator. They don't believe that there is a a divine design that is flowing through creation to make so much life. Almost nowhere in our solar system do we see any life. But on Earth, there's almost nowhere that you don't go that you won't see some life. So what, what is it that has designed so many variations of life and brought them to about, and brought them into existence over the centuries that we have been here? Where is this life coming from? And, uh, why is there patterns? And that's one of the things that I, growing up, I see patterns. I see lots and lots of patterns. And those patterns tell me that there is a divine design. I see the divine design. I don't see all of it, obviously. I don't, I don't see God face to face. I, but I, I struggle with it. I mean, just writing all the things that I write. Uh, a lot of times I, I have writer's block and I have to go into my own prayer closet, which actually uh, we will see Moses talking about numerous times. It, it comes up in quite a few what your prayer closet actually consists of, what it, how it should be constructed, is repeated over and over again in the biblical text. And... Uh, it's including in the those 613 so-called statutes of Moses that he talks about it. And he talks about... And if you don't understand the mystical nature of the message, you will probably read it and not understand. I know there are probably millions of Jews. I know many, many, many Jews 
that know of these particular things, and they have words for it, the Hebrew words for it, and they repeat them, but they don't know what it is actually that they're supposed to be doing, how that prayer closet is constructed, how you open a doorway to God, not so that you would see his face, but so that you would know his ways. And that's what Moses was talking about in 33. And this is going to be complimentary to 33, Exodus 33, so that everybody can see what it is that Moses was actually talking about what he was actually trying to share with us. Then two ideas that came up in 33 that are unique. Mostly the the words that we see there are mostly unique to uh, the Pentateuch and uh, you know the the Torah, and uh, people don't understand them. And of course, I I explained them a little bit this morning. I touched on them, and some people may get it, but some people may say, oh, he's adding to the text. He's putting other things in the text. He's he's doing things to the text that is not really the case. And uh, I don't think I am. <laughs> I, I think that uh, what I'm saying is very sound, very uh, basically biblical, and it's up to us to figure out what that is and pursue it. And pursue what it is that uh, God wants us to see in these texts. So that's what we're going to kind of do this afternoon is look into some of this, some of the biblical texts uh, that we saw in 33. Because I've written some uh, additional articles so that as we see these extra additional things added that are added to this uh, text, these words that came into question as we were reading it, we'll go down and we'll look into them a little deeper. So this is a a little deeper approach to that system. So hopefully this will help you circumcise your heart. Because, you know, there's this talk of circumcise... But if you actually look up the word, you know, circumcision, look up the word circumcised in the Bible, that actually shows up just a number of times. And Deuteronomy 10.6, we see circumcised, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Well, that's what we were talking about, stiff-necked. So, how does circumcising the foreskin of your heart help you no more be stiff-necked. And we'll look at stiff-necked a little bit closer too. But Deuteronomy 36, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart. So it's not, you don't need a heart surgeon. You need God to circumcise your heart. And the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. So this is very important. If you want to live, you need to have this circumcision by God of your heart, and this will also help remove your stiff neck. 
Now, there's other ways to remove your stiff neck, which are really the same ways, but we're going to talk about it in a different light. Now, outside of the Pentateuch, we also find Jeremiah 4.4, chapter 4, verse 4, Circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem lest my fury come forth like fire. Now, this is part of what we saw in 33, this this consuming fire. And then I equated it to Matthew and what Jesus was talking about. He talks about the, you know, this fire of hell will come if you don't do certain things. doesn't mean you're going to go to hell, but the fire will come to you. And, of course, I equated that to the idea that if you love your enemy, it will be like hot coals upon his head. If God loves your enemy, it could kill him. Because if he goes against God, if he doesn't accept the love of God, if he turns away, it literally could kill him. Now, how that love comes, lots of ways. It could blind you. So that you don't see a dangerous thing and you, and you storm ahead like, like the soldiers who wanted to go kill the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. They just charged into the middle of this Red Sea and then their chariots got bogged down as the water started coming back in and eventually washed away the soil underneath them and it's a 10 mile crossing. 10, 12 mile crossing, that's a long ways to swim, even four horse. <laughs> so, and, uh, and they went down, you can go down in that location, and you'll find chariot wheels crusted in, uh, coral. And, and we know that some of the, these are the prime, some of these were top chariots, and they were actually, uh, somehow or other gold plated. And so the wood may be all gone, but, and replaced by other fossilizing, calcium, whatever. But now there's coral growing. And you can actually see the wheels down there with coral growing on these spoked wheels. And those are the wheels, supposedly, of the chariots of Pharaoh that charged across this miles and miles crossing of Red Sea, thinking that they were immune to danger and were... Destroyed. But they destroyed themselves because they were going across there to kill innocent people. People that Pharaoh said could go. And so they were, they were on their way to murder. They had judged it okay to murder those people. And they forfeited their life right away. With us, a lot of times it takes longer. And that was another topic in 33 that if God came on the people to make them what they needed to be, they would change or die. They would conform or die. But Moses didn't want him to do that. Wanted to give him more time. So, he wanted him to do it not in the moment. They give them more time. And so, God is saying that they had to put off their ornaments. They should take the time to put off their ornaments. And people go out and they translate that in Romans 2.29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision that is of the heart. In the spirit. 
and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And this was the whole thing in 33, that God knew Moses. They knew each other. They had a communion between each other. And Moses was asking to see the face of God. And God said, you can't even do it. You can't even do it. They, back when he was up on the mountain, you had to stay away for your safety. It's not because God was going to kill you. But whoever this is up there saying he is Yahweh was so full of light. If you got too close, it might do you under. It might actually, you know, like, like, if I, if I loved you with the, the love of God, that's only going to be like a hot coal on your head. But if God was here loving you, coming in His ultimate creative power, it would be too much. It would be like a million hot coals. It would just burn you up. In, I mean, it's like a hot coal, so let's not get, take the metaphor away and say, well, I, there's an actual fire. But to some degree, it will seem like an actual fire. So, Abraham communicated with God in his heart. And he had a little bit of trouble figuring out exactly what God wanted him to do. But he was willing to do it if he could get it clear in his mind as to what it was. And so, what is Abraham doing to get a better idea? How does he know it's God? And of course, Gideon had the same problem. How do I, how do I know I should do this? And so, he was... Testing, not God, but testing his ability to understand what God wanted him to do. Because God can give you this revelation and insight so that you know exactly what to do. But he has to give it to you. But in order for him to give it to you, you need that circumcision of the heart. You need to put down your ornaments so that you can get closer to God. And of course, one of the things that gets you closer to God is sacrifice. But sacrifice isn't burning up sheep on dead stones. It's sacrificing for others. To bring a offering to the altar is not enough. It's, it's not going to cut it. It's not going to make it happen. And that's what Jesus is saying. Before you even think about bringing your gift to the altar, you know, your contribution, your sacrifice, you need to make pay, peace with your brother. With your neighbor, with your community. You need to work that thing out so that you do it right. And of course that you we can see this in Matthew five twenty three. Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, you gotta go fix that. Leave therefore thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled with thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So this is this is what putting down the ornaments consists of is reconciling yourself with your brother, with your neighbor, and with the rest of Israel. And one of the ways to do that is to start caring about the rest of Israel and all the other brothers that are making the same commitment. You have to figure out how to do that. You even have to agree with thine adversary quickly. Not even if your brother, your enemy. While thou art in the way with him, lest 
And he gives this explanation, lest you end up losing everything. Like the soldiers who chased after the Israelites. They lost everything. They died. Their chariots are still down there in the bottom of the water. Because they didn't make peace with the Israelites. They wanted to make war with them. And God was on their side. You don't want to make war with God. Now, you know, I was just talking to somebody who was talking about the state of the nation. And I, I said, you know, well, years and years ago, we, we had a fire that burned all the way across the mountains here. And millions of dollars worth of timber was destroyed. Houses were threatened. We didn't lose any houses. Some of them, the hot heat was so great, their, their decks were smoking and their windows were breaking. But we wouldn't leave and we stayed there and kept the houses from burning. Eventually, in one place we had to leave, but we phoned the house down before we left and we saved it. All volunteer fire departments, all volunteer people. And, and we didn't even have the big volunteer fire department that I was talking about a few shows ago. That hadn't been created yet. My son was still a little boy and so he had, when he got older, that's when they made that. But uh, the funny thing was I was up there with another fellow who I count as a minister of Christ, although he's not with our network at this time. He's still getting his act together, and hopefully he'll come back and uh, join with us. But I was up on the mountaintop with him, and I'm often, when I work with him, I know that the Holy Spirit, you know, two or more. And this is one of the things also that came up with Moses in chapter 33. I think it was in chapter 33. We read it this morning anyway. Where he says, you have not told me who is to go with me. Because that was very important. Moses had to have somebody go with him. It was Aaron at one time. But then Aaron was now in Dutch. Because Aaron had kind of not taken responsibility for what he did. In making the golden calf. He blamed it on the people and he blamed it on Moses. But I don't see anywhere in the text where Aaron said, I screwed up. I did wrong. I'm sure he thought it eventually, but uh, he wasn't saying it. And basically, he wasn't putting down an ornament. By not saying it, he was not putting down an or- ornament that he needed to put down. Now, I'm, I'm throwing that word in here in the conversation so that you'll get a better and better idea, but that's what we're going to be looking at, is putting that back in that idea of this ornament uh, and what it is. What is this? these ornaments that they had to put down? And of course, it it begins with this word, Ayan Delet. These are the, the, the basic two letters that are in that word for ornament. Ayan Delet. That's basically the root of the word Although they say the root of the word is Ian Delet Yod. What's a Yod? Yod is the divine spark. That's where revelation comes from. Little divine spark, little, re- re- little revelation. Big divine spark, big revelation. <laughs> but that's, that spark goes out when you die. But, so we've got two letters at the beginning. Ian and Delet. And An, I said this morning, stands for divine providence. I or fountain. 
Now, I or fountain, why those two things? It says, of five states of kindness or severity. Now, you'll find that all over the place. You can actually look up five states of kindness. And almost everywhere you Google that, you're going to find the letter A-N. Because that statement is associated with A-N. You also find preparing you because we're one of the people that talk about it. But what are the five states of kindness? Now, that you can try to look up. And there's not very many people that come up with those five states of kindness. Or five states of severity. And the, and the Jews have broken this down into the idea that this five states of kindness has to do with uh, the left eye and, and the right eye. The aeon possesses these five divine powers. The right eye possesses five states of kindness whereas the left eye possesses five states of severity or might. Now, they've divided it that way with the right eye and the left eye because this aeon has to do with eye, and, but it also has to do with fountain. And the five states of kindness and the five states of severity, what does that have to do with the ornaments? But, of course, the other letter that we have that is dealing with ornaments, uh, or that we find in ornaments, is this uh, letter delet, which has to do with selflessness and charity. I talked about that this morning, so that you want to think about it in delet in in terms of selflessness and charity. Well, what's the difference between virtues and vices? Virtues is the actual positive value, character, while vices is less than that positive, what it should be. It's less than. So if delet has to do with selflessness, delet in the opposite direction means more selfish. It doesn't mean more charitable, it means less charitable. And so what happens when the process of your life takes this into being when you're in the process of getting your heart circumcised. The less charitable you are, the smaller the doorway, the narrower the path in which to enter. Couple that with the aeon and you have these five states of kindness, but they start moving over to five, five states of less kindness. So then if you have this word uh, Elif Yad uh, Nun is this the fish swimming in the Elif Yad but with the Nun it actually has to do with nothingness so what is that it's really hard to put all these letters together and hold all these concepts in your mind at the same time and figure out but it's literally like a code the language is literally like a code. So you have to figure out what that was. And we gave you several other words that have the same aeon delet in it, like witness and congregation and, and words that have to do with being a predator or, uh, you know, uh, booty and these other things that, uh, reek of 
you know, something else going on besides just jewelry, that you're putting off your jewelry. And, of course, if circumcision isn't about cutting off a piece of flesh, but a circumcision of the heart, and the circumcision of the flesh is simply the outward sign. And Paul talked about outward signs, that you do certain things and you don't do certain things because you could corrupt other people because you didn't do the outward sign. And, and Moses hadn't circumcised his son, and so he hadn't done the outward sign. And then he was said that you need to have all this in place. Not because you need it, not because it will save you, but because of those people that are weak in faith. Weak in spirit. You know, and that's what Paul says, is that, you know, you have to do these things, certain things, so that you do not corrupt those that are weak in spirit. But if you have the circumcision of the heart, and you have these five states of kindness in your heart and in your mind, and you have the light of God in you, Moses actually communicated with God so much, eventually he had to put a cover over his head because he came down literally glowing. And people couldn't look at Moses. And this is very important that you have to have the humility to realize that you, you're you not the source of the power. You're not the source of the knowledge. It's this other source. And what you want to do is tap into it. But you can't tap into it until you're willing to see more and more of the truth. And so, God has created this process that he calls seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which allows you to start following and exercising these things that will help you set down your ornaments. And those ornaments are the things that you have picked up. Patterns of thought. Patterns of behavior. Characteristics. Certain uh, less than noble characters. That's the ornaments that you're going to have to put down. The, those those five sets of less than kindness. You know, jealousy, envy, pride. Remember, it's envy and pride and jealousy that got everybody back in the bondage of Egypt. That cut them off so that they could not see the way of the Lord. And they knew that when they were going into bondage, they said, we're going into bondage because we would not see the anguish of our brothers. And like I said this morning, so now they, Moses has created a system where you have to tend to the weightier matters. You're now the courts. You, you, he's giving you 600 some statements that you can count as precedent. But they're not really laws. And we'll get into that when we go through... I've been creating a page called Judgments. Because what he was doing was he was creating a people's court. And the people were going to have to determine what was just, right, and fair. And there were no rulers exercising authority of them. There were no judges coming down from the top. There was no king to appoint them. Now, they do talk about Moses appointing these people that were going to be their judges. But how did he pick them? How did he decide who they should be? Well, the same way that uh, Peter said to the people. He says, look out amongst yourselves, find men you trust, 
And we will appoint them over this matter. And, and that's what Moses could do. He could appoint them over this matter. Even the church could appoint people over this matter. But not of their own cognizance. Because if they're doing it of their own cognizance, they're stealing the choice of the people. True ministers of Christ are constantly, true ministers of Moses are constantly putting choice back in the hands of the people. Aaron was helping remove choice. And we talked about that in this morning's show. What, what the golden calf was. It was removing the right to choose concerning the wealth that God and Moses had provided for them. You were going to waive your right to choose what to do with that. And you were going to put it in this golden calf and put somebody else who knew the arts of the temple in charge. Which in this case was Aaron. And you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to stay in charge. If you waive your rights that were given to you by God, that's an insult to God. And it requires that you repent of it. Oh, you've been doing that in most countries for years. You do not take care of the daily ministration of the people through faith, hope, and charity. You elect men who exercise authority to take care of the people. To take care of even your own parents. Which is why the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. Because they were doing no more ought for their parents. They had a government system to provide social security for their parents. And you're not supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be providing it. And if you can't measure up, then you go to your congregation and you say, Look, I'm trying to take care of my parents, but I'm going to need some help. And then you get help, hopefully. And in giving that help, whatever help they give is a sacrifice upon their living altars. God is going to count that. One of the things that, uh, you know, the president of uh, Hillsdale College, who's on this uh, seminar with Jordan Peterson, was saying, pointing out that the Athenian uh, prophets or sages were seeing that choice, the right to choose is more important. And we talked about that this morning. So you can go back if you didn't hear that and find out what that means. So anyway, stiff neck. If we go back up to stiff neck, because putting down your ornaments are going to help with your stiff neckness. Now if I say stiff neck today, you're thinking stubborn. Somebody's stubborn. And in at least some of the definitions of the words that we see there translated into stiff neck, we may find some evidence that it includes obstinacy. The phrase stiff neck people appears several times in the biblical text. In the Torah, it is composed of three words. And so we go over some of those words. The word stiff is from the Hebrew word kashe, which is uh, kuf, shin, he. Pretty simple word. And the Hebrew word for neck is orif, which is also a simple word. And generally speaking, just means neck, although there is some evidence that it can mean more than just the neck. And what is the neck? The neck is where the head sits upon. 
And the neck can turn the head this way, and it can turn the head that way. It can also become stiff, hard, so that you can't turn the head. So I can tell you that ornaments don't really mean jewelry, and you'll say, I don't believe it. I don't believe that's true. Because I, that, that's not what my rabbi taught me. That's not what my priest taught me. That's not what it says in my concordance. Well, you can do that. You stiff-necked person, you. <laughs> so, but you think about it. You're telling me, because they just said circumcision of the heart is going to loosen up the neck. And, and evidently, somehow putting down these ornaments is going to loosen up the neck. And if those ornaments has to do with the character that you developed when you were in bondage in Egypt, which we know through all kinds of historians that if you set up a system of social welfare based on men who exercise authority, something Jesus said not to do, and clearly that would be a covetous practice, and Moses saying we're not supposed to have covetous practices. So we know that... We should not be doing it that way. So in Exodus 33.3, we see, For thou art a stiff-necked people. And I put the Hebrew in there at preparing you under stiff-necked, if you look up the article. Where no additional letters are added, and the statement is very direct and to the point. You know, that thou art a stiff-necked people. And they felt bad about that. That God was saying this about them. And yet, to understand this phrase, we need to see that keshe actually does not mean stiff, but hard, cruel, severe, and even obstinate. They added that in. But basically, it has to do with being hard-hearted. You see, without a circumcised heart, you may become hard-hearted. And you, that may lead to you being cruel. But is putting down the ornament now that's going to help you not be stiff-necked means somehow or other it's going to loosen up your heart. So it's not so hard, not so severe. That has maybe more of those five states of kindness. And less of the five states of unkindness. And kind of loosen up your neck so that you can turn the way of God. The the word oraf does mean neck, but it is also figuratively has the, uh, uh, is associated with the idea of apostasy. That where you, apostasy is where you're going to go the way you think it should be, rather than the way that God thinks it should be. But you're going to still claim that you're following God. And of course we know this is prophesied by David and Jesus and and the apostles. And it actually has to do with, uh, it's identical with another uh, verb, uh, araf, uh, which is a verb that is said to mean drop or drop down. Or bow, bend down at a slope. So we're seeing this word neck can also mean 
drop down. It also is associated with apostasy. It also means turning the wrong way. And so when they're talking about being a stiff neck, hard neck, hard-hearted person, they're talking about people who are not willing to go the way of Christ. They're going to go their own way. And, and like I said, it's clear that the head is supported by the neck and the neck can turn it any way it wants. But the Israelites had picked up a lot of bad habits when they were in the bondage of Egypt. And now they're going to have to get them out. So they're going to have to do things differently. And they had to do things differently. And they, they weren't going to get the free straw from the Pharaoh anymore. They had to go find their own straw to make their bricks. They they weren't going to get the leeks and onions. They weren't even going to probably get the food from the flesh pots of Egypt. That was one of the things the seminar uh, of Port Jordan Peterson was saying that. So what are what are the flesh pots? Oh, let's just say cooking fish. No, flesh pots mentioned many times in the Bible. And they they talk about having a city where we be the flesh. The city is the cauldron, the pot, and we be the flesh. And then they talk about taking a bite out of one another. See, when when the people went into the bondage of Egypt, Pharaoh had accumulated all this grain just because he was a wealthy guy and he had a heads up from Joseph and he had his, you know, the grain that he was producing put up in this storage deal. But later on, once they went into bondage, now the Pharaoh could tax the people 20% of their labor and he's supposed to take a portion of that, set it aside, put it in granaries, wherever. So if there are hard times, he can help take care of the people and it becomes their social safety net. But it's a social safety net based on somebody who exercises authority. You have to pay in your 20%. And that's going to lead to trouble hundreds of years down the road and every generation are changing the way in which the Israelites think now they have to change back but they're out there in the desert with a lot of the old habits a lot of the old ornaments of their society and they have to let go of those ornaments of society and we we know that's the case because right away Moses is out of town for couple of days and they're building a golden calf and returning to Egypt. They're not actually necessarily going to walk back into Egypt but they're going to walk back into the system of Egypt. And so, you know, then we have the whole story of the of the Levites being called out. That's what Jesus said, called out. That's what ecclesia means, called out. And they were the called out in the wilderness and they were going to be sent back in the camp to bar the re-entry of anybody who will not consecrate themselves to this other way that doesn't involve golden calves. The The treasury is not going to be a reserve fund of golden calf. It's going to be in the pockets of the people. And the people are going to have that choice again to choose to share. Every day they're going to have to make that choice. Do I share with this minister? Do I share this much? Do I share that much? And that power of choice is going to set them free.
absolutely important to understand. So how does putting down these ornaments loosen the stiff-neckedness of us because you have to start hearing the anguish of your brother? You have to hear the the cries of your brother. You have to hear the difficulty of your brother. You have to start after exercising compassion, kindness, care. You have to do that. You have to put that into effect. Daily. And this will loosen up your neck. You know, sometimes I, I will get a stiff neck and I have to do little exercises back and forth with my head and stretching exercises to loosen it up again. Well, we have to do that with seeking the kingdom of God as well. And putting down that selfishness, putting down those grudges, putting down that arrogance will help enlighten and awaken the people of Israel because now God can come into their hearts because they're making that sacrifice, a sacrifice of choice. Because if you don't have that sacrifice of choice, it's not going to draw you near God. You you can sacrifice. And, I mean, everybody's sacrificing now. That was one of the things they came out with the seminar. They, they came out with the point that a lot of people don't want to have children. Young people don't want to have ch- children because it's too much of a sacrifice. And then Dennis Prager says, well, you know, I realize in the conversation, that's the good thing about having the conversation, even though everybody doesn't get it. They get something. Everybody's bringing a piece of the puzzle, their own piece of the puzzle. If we can put them in the right place, and, you know, some of them are upside down. (laughs) The ornament one, that's upside down. They think it's about jewelry, and I'm telling you it's about character. Elements of your character that you need to put down. The selfishness you need to put down. The unforgiveness you need to put down. The slothfulness you need to put down. The lack of diligence you need to put down. This is absolutely important as you realize it's not jewelry. It's your personal character. And once you realize it's your personal character and you look at it, I was a little selfish. You know, I guess it wasn't Moses' fault that I made the golden calf. Just because he didn't get here on time, I could have said no. See, Aaron could have done that. He could have said, when the people said, Aaron, make us a golden calf. He says, no, we're not supposed to do that. But, you know, he knew the arts of the temple. That's going to give him a position of power and prestige. And Moses isn't here, so he made excuses. So how many excuses do you make every day? When you know Christ said that the ministers of his ministers were to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They were to do that. That was their responsibility. And yet they didn't do it. They backed off from it. So what's the deal? So... Uh, after the incident of the golden calf, where the people started to return to the ways of Egypt, you know, because that's what they were doing, they were creating this central reserve fund, and they were going to have a, a single treasury. Jesus speaks against that single treasury idea. Now, you don't really have a single treasury, because 
you don't even know where the money's at now. You don't have any golden calf and say, well, nobody's robbing the bank because I see all the parts are there still. No, you can't even do that because you don't even get to see it. And you elect liars every every year. Every election, you elect liars. Why? Why don't you see they're liars? I mean, some of you say, boy, those Democrats are really liars. How could anybody elect these people? But there's liars on both sides. It's just one is telling bigger lies. <laughs> That's all. But they're both lying. And every every year you 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 like more liars. And well, can't you see that they're liars? You know, when COVID was coming out, I knew when people were lying. I wrote all kinds of articles and I broadcast all kinds of stuff. A lot of people don't listen to it. Because they don't know who's telling the truth. And they don't know who's lying. You know why they don't know? Because they're lying. They're lying to themselves. You know, some people think there is no God. And then some people think God is a Jehovah Witness. Some people think God is a Mormon. <laughs> some people think God is a Catholic. Some people think God is a Presbyterian. It is. Christ is the denominator of the church. There is no other denomination. There's only one. Now, I'm not saying that we're it. I'm saying that that's what we're seeking. Because that's what the command is. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that's what you should be doing. All the people were warned that they needed to re-consecrate themselves to this new way of self-government where you're the jury, where you're deciding fact and law. There is nobody making new laws. Moses' 619 Statutes are not really statutes. We'll get into that. I've, I've got several pages starting to explain that. But they're judgments. So that you uh, have guidelines to go by. Because you can't, you know, like you say, well, this guy broke in and so he, now we're going to put him to death, which it doesn't actually say. No. It's more complicated than that. Because maybe the guy didn't really break him. Maybe he found the door open and he went in to see and then he saw something there and he was hungry. Who knows? There's so many. It's like the guy speeding down the road and the cop pulls him over going to give him a ticket. And, uh, and he says, my wife's having a baby in the back seat. And the cop drives out ahead of him, follow me to the hospital. You know, they actually have a, a funny thing on, uh, sort of funny, where the guy is pulled over by the cop and he says, my wife is going to have a baby and I have to get to the hospital. She's not in the car. She's at the hospital. So he gets to the hospital and the cop's right behind him. And he says to the lady at the desk, he says, is there, there any woman in here having a baby who... uh doesn't have a husband with her? And he says, yes, well, there is. And a room over here. So he goes over there and he, he goes over and he bends over to kiss her and he says, help me get out of this ticket. And I'll pretend to be your husband. You pretend to be my wife. And he says, and so the girl says, it's about time you showed up. <laughs> so you think, think, okay, so the cop's convinced he really was going to have a baby. I'm not going to give him a ticket. 
But then the whole thing goes on. It's probably Babylon B or somebody. It goes on and, and like they end up getting married. He's raising the kid. They're having a seventh year birthday for the kid. And the cop is at the birthday party still looking. <laughs> making sure that she really, this is, is his kid. <laughs> so they carried the deception out. That, there's something true about that. That people are carrying the deception out. Generation after generation. It's, it's so, coveting your neighbor's good. I just, just amazed at watching the seminar, Peterson, they're dancing all around. They spent all this time on coveting their neighbor's goods. They didn't spend as much as they did on adultery and pornography, but they spent a lot of time on coveting. But they don't realize that their whole system of social safety net is coveting. And now, Jordan Peterson is talking about organizing people in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. He's going to have a big seminar in July or sometime. June or July somewhere. In Europe. He's got all these guys backing him. And I've looked at some of the guys backing him. And some of the guys backing him, I wouldn't turn my back on him. <laughs> so, so what's going on there? Is he being duped? If you do not organize a system, if you organize in tens, hundreds, and thousands, great. But if you do not do it, devoid of all legal charity, because legal charity is an ornament, you need to sit down. Ah, starting to ring a bell now with some people. Somebody caught that. Legal charity is the way of Egypt. Where the Pharaoh took 20% and supplied the people with grain when there were shortages, when the, when the floods didn't come. And they didn't have crops, and the crops failed, or there was hail, or there was some sort of plague. They had this grain stored up. You know, we used to have in America, seven years supply of grain for everybody in America, stored on farms all over the country. They don't do that anymore. Because the men you elected thought it was a good idea. We don't do that anymore. Now, worldwide, you probably don't have a year's supply of grain in the pipeline. And they're all out there clamoring, climate change, climate change, climate change. Oh, we got to do all this. we got to blow up coal fire plants because of climate change. First thing that's going to happen if you have real climate change, crops are going to fail. You shouldn't be spending money on blowing up coal fire plants. You should be putting up seven years supply of grain. <laughs> Unless you go keto. But they're, they're against that too. They want to get rid of all the meat. They want you eating bugs. These are the men you have elected. These are the men who are running things. Even behind the scenes, they're running things. But they're running things because they got money. And they got money. Because you've got a golden calf back there in 1913. Where you broke off your gold and you gave it to men who exercised authority. You been, And then now you got nothing but Federal Reserve notes and scarabs. And you think you're investing. And you think you're investing that. And it's debt notes. You're investing debt notes. Every time you do that, you, they create more debt notes because it's fractional reserves. So every time a bank, take, you know, 
it's got a million dollars worth of depositors, or ten million, or a billion dollars worth of depositors, they're going to loan out ten times that at interest, at usury. Now, there are banks around that don't have usury. Did you know that? There's banks around that they have no usury. And you can start them yourselves. In America, we call them credit unions. Uh, and, and well, we'll talk more about that in other places. But you've got so many habits of bondage because you've been in bondage for almost 100 years in America. Since 1933, everybody, they owed at least 10, 20% of their labor to the government. It was the federal government, not the federal government, but it's still to the government. Because you're all back in the bondage of Egypt, and their, their seminar doesn't see this. But if I tell them that the ornaments aren't jewelry, they'll say, no, they, that's just jewelry. But, of course, they're also saying coveting your neighbor's goods is not coveting your neighbor's goods. It's, it's our system. It's our social safety net system. I've even heard Ben Shapiro say that we need government to have a social safety net. Well, that's what Egypt was, a social safety net. That's what Moses was doing, was setting up a social safety net through his altars. But if you think the altars are about piling up stone and burning up sheep, then you're not going to get it. That the altars were your system of social safety net. You're not getting it. It's well known in the history at the time of the Pharisees at the time of Jesus Christ. We see it right there in the text. Now, who's going to take care of the, the blind man's parents? The, the government. To their system of social, their social safety net. But with Herod, you had to pay it. You signed up, you had to pay it. Peter, he wasn't signed up. Other of the apostles, they were not signed up. They may never have signed up. They were idiotes. Now, they'll tell you, no, idiotes means they were illiterate. Does it? Well, they were just poor fishermen. They had fishing boats. Poor fishermen is a guy on the side of the bank throwing a net in the water. Because all he's got is a net. They had boats. They had a house big enough for crowds of people. He wasn't poor. He just was unregistered. He wasn't ignorant. He was just unregistered. Because he wasn't in that system. Which is why somebody came to Does your master pay the tax? Uh, because he knew some people didn't have to pay the tax because they were unregistered. They weren't going to get any welfare in a time of famine. And of course, shortly after Christ left, there was a famine. There was lots of famines. Spread all across because the grain storages were running short and and the Romans were trying to supply grain and moving grain around. But if you were a Christian in Corinth, you weren't going to get any of that grain. Because you would have to go to the temple that they referred to as temples of idols, temples of idolatry, to get that grain. Because as Colossians says, idolatry is covetousness. Because you, you make an agreement with these other religions that's fornicating, national fornicating, national adultery, if you are a member, you, you can't eat of their tables. A lot of talk 
that Paul has about that. But the early Christians had their own table. Today they don't. Today all the Christian churches send you to men who exercise authority one over the other to get their benefits. That's selfish. Stiff neck? Selfish. Ornaments? Selfish. Aeon? Remember Aeon? Not being selfish. Delit? Being charitable. Not being selfish. That's why those two words, two letters are there making this word of ornaments. Now, they could apply the word to ornaments and you do see it a few other places and, and we've mentioned some of that. But in Exodus 33, 5, For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are stiff-necked people. You are hard-hearted people. Your neck keeps turning you towards Egypt, turning you towards severity, towards your neighbor. And that's why you're stiff. I, I, I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment. Then consume thee. I should have a link in here for the word consume. What is that word consume? Because <laughs> see, now a lot of people don't know what that is. It's translated consume about 57 times. It's also translated end 44 times. It's translated finish 20 times. Fail 18 times. Accomplished 12 times. Done 9 times. So what's he saying here? When he talks about in a moment, if he comes up and finishes thee, ends thee, puts an end to it, therefore now put off the ornaments. He's not going to do it. He says later that he's not going to do it in the moment to to uh, Moses. But he says, you got to put off your ornaments. So now, they say, oh, it's to show your faith. God knows your heart. He already knows whether you have faith or not. You don't have to show them with pretense like, I'll take off my jewelry, Lord. I'm going to put it here in the drawer where nobody sees it. No. It doesn't have anything to do with jewelry. If you think so, you're delusional. And from, he's putting off, even though we're putting off, put off. It's an odd place. It's not take off, put off. It actually has to do with descending, putting down, removing entirely the ornaments. But the ornaments aren't jewelry. So what is he really putting down? What is he really moving away from himself? That I may know what to do unto thee. You know, is God so fooled by the fact that, well, I got rid of my jewelry, God, so now let me into the kingdom? No. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount of Horeb. Horeb meaning desert. Mount could be hills. Wherever they were at, they started stripping themselves of this. How do they strip themselves? What's the word strip there? It's not all. It's a primitive root word. It, it's translated deliver. So you could say, well, okay, strip. 
It's 179 times it's translated deliver. Five times it's translated recover. It's also translated escape. It's also translated rescue. So, what, what does it mean? Snatch away, deliver, rescue, save, strip. So is he rescuing his jewelry, his ornaments? <laughs> nope. Nope. They began to rescue themselves. They began to take care of themselves. And in that process of caring about one another, they began to make a habit out of listening to the anguish cries of their brother, of their neighbor, of their fellow man. They, that is how you become a priest to all nations. Where you become compassionate to all nations. Now, of course, this compassion should not weaken the poor. It's not just love of, with milk. It's also with meat. And that's our milk and meat lecture that we haven't completely had yet. But uh, Moses talked about it. And, and just out of the blue, all of a sudden Moses says, Thou shalt not boil a kid in his mother's milk. And everybody says, well, that's one of the food laws. So we don't do that. We don't let the meat touch the milk because Moses made this law that we can't have the meat touch the milk. You know, and if my fork touches that, you know, my milk fork, <laughs> my, my meat fork touches, you know, my uh, my butter, I have to take it out in the backyard and bury it for a month or whatever. Or a week or whatever they went and buried it for. <laughs> it has nothing to do with milk and meat. It has to do with love. The kind of love that there is. There's a time where you just help somebody out. Because if you don't help them out, they're going to die. And they need help right now. And you show them the milk of human kindness. But then there's the other meat. Where the guy says, you know, will you give me a motor home I can live in? While I collect my welfare check from the idolatrous temples of the state. <laughs> and you say, no, you need to get a job. Oh, there's, if I get near work, I get a headache and I can't work. It was Because, you know, uh, I have this, I, I, I get triggered if I get near a hammer or a shovel or anything. <laughs> no, you, you need... That guy needs tough love. He don't need no more milk. You know. But uh, you should never... They are worried about milk and meat getting mixed. And they're sending checks to alcoholics and drug addicts. And they're mi- mixing your milk with their alcohol. <laughs> so, no. You have to have a charity that strengthens the poor. And that's what Paul... And that's what Moses is talking about. Because the charitable hand of government is in the hands of the people. Now they designate certain people to manage that. And they pick the, they look out amongst themselves and find men they can trust. And they put them over this matter of the social, social safety net of society. But if they see somebody who goes to the Levite and says, oh, you know, I've had some really hard luck. I need some extra uh, food and meat uh, for my kids because they're all hungry and everything. And I know I, I went to work, but then, you know, all kinds of stuff happened. And, you know, it's, it's not my fault. And so he, he helps them out. But then a congregationalist comes and says, that isn't the way it happened. That new guy that you hired, he ain't worth it. He comes to work drunk. You know, he, yeah, we had a guy who, that came to work 
On Monday, he was useless. He was recovering from his all his highs and botulism uh, during the weekend. And about Tuesday, he could start working. Wednesday was pretty good, but by Thursday, he was tired of the work week. He had one of these, like, you only work three days a week. <laughs> and uh, by Friday, all he could think about is booze and drugs. A lot of times he didn't even show up on Friday because he started early. Well, guess what? We didn't keep hiring him <laughs> because <laughs> he uh, he was a danger. I mean, we work on roofs, we work with tools that are dangerous, and he's only we only get half a man on Monday, and sometimes on Friday we don't even get a guy. So he was just you know we tried to tell him that you can't do this, you got to sh- shape up, but he wouldn't do it. So, we just didn't hire him. Didn't bring him back. Same way if you have a minister. That he's all for show and he's all for, you know, I've, I've taken off my jewelry. I've taken off my ornaments and everything. But he's not doing the job. I, I knew where there was a guy in the local community dying of cancer. And he would come to the church and everything. And, and the people were taking care of him. And he needed uh, he needed something he was in a wheelchair and he needed some sort of help, some sort of physical help with something. I don't think he had to have his catheter replaced or something, but he needed some sort of help. And the minister wouldn't do it. He said, oh, no, I can't. I can't help. I can't do that stuff. Somebody else has to do it. And the only other people there were women. So they were going to have to do this, whatever it was. And it just wasn't right. They thought, like, the minister won't even help this guy who's a part of his parish and come in there to the Bible study and he won't help him. No, no. That he shouldn't be giving it. But he he gave a sermon that made everybody feel good. He was good at singing and and getting the choir going. And he, I mean, but he had everybody waiting on him. And I actually had somebody from that church come to me and says, "How do you fire a guy like that?" Because <laughs> they they weren't giving you all the stuff I just gave you, but they knew that they had to get rid of him. They knew that one incident. But they couldn't figure out how to fire him because he's such a nice guy. No, he's not a nice guy. He's nice in show. He's dressed right. Looks the part. Says the right words. Makes everybody feel good. He ain't preaching Christ. He ain't preaching the way of Christ. He's completely the opposite. But of course, they wouldn't know that because they're not going the way of Christ. Now, some of them, some of the people in that church, I've explained this and they... They cannot find an argument against it, but they keep going back to their old ways. This is the way it was when I grew up in the church. This is the way we did things. This is what we call prayer. This is what we call a worship service when we all get emotional and we think we've worshipped God. When they've actually just created a feeling. No. No. I'll say it again. No. That's not it. That's... That's not it. Unless you're sitting down and actually taking care of one and hearing each other's cries and and doing things for one another and not going. You do this so well, nobody has to go to the men who exercise authority one over the other. The men who force the offerings of your neighbor so that you can have free stuff. They, they don't even deal with the public school issue. They, they, don't, they don't take care of their parents. Oh, they, they, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, all that's supposed to do. We paid in. There's nothing in there. I don't, 
somebody wants to argue that, have me on as a guest or come on my show. So, the ornaments are not doodads. The evil tiding is that they're stiff-necked people and they got a lot of the old habits of Egypt. You're all back in Egypt. You got all a lot of those same habits. You become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. So now you don't even know you're in the bondage of Egypt because this is the way you've always done it. You need to turn around and get out of that. You need to become accustomed to the ways of righteousness. And then you'll set down those ornaments. That those that way of thinking, that way that turns your head back to Egypt every time. But you have to do it. Because otherwise, it's going to be a consuming fire. You know, like I said, this consuming fire is going to devour you. Now, we see that in Deuteronomy 4.24. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. Consuming fire. How, how is he a consuming fire? Deuteronomy 4, uh, 5.25. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more than we then we shall die. Just the voice of the Lord was too much for them. You, a lot of people out there want, think they're going to heaven. When they get to heaven, it'll be like hell. Because they're actually workers of iniquity. Wherever God sends your spirit, your soul, it will be a mercy. Because if you went to heaven, it would be a consuming fire. For Hebrews 12.29, for our God is a consuming fire. But just like I said, the, the Matthew 5.22, that you had to go and make peace with your neighbor. And that's what they were doing at the Mount of Horeb. And in that process of taking care of one another, and I'll give you one little last hint, I wanted you to at least have the opportunity to understand that putting down the ornaments is that taking care of one another so that you start because over and over again in the Bible it says that you know if you decide to have a king president prime minister men who exercise authority and then you ask them to provide your social safety net through forced offerings uh, which is legal charity that you're going to go down this road you're going to degenerate and the, and the government's going to become more and more tyrannical and despotic and there's not anything you can do about it and the only thing you can do about it is turn around and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, in small groups, intimate groups, that are connected one to another, and then pass that charity up, trickle it up. You know, you have the choice how you want to pass it up. I mean, you you pick the minister, you give to the minister. Yeah, it should be a tithing. Um, but, you know, if he's not doing good, you can say, I'm, I'm not going to give you any more if you... I'm going to give it to another guy. But you sh- you need to be giving. You need to be sacrificing. If you want to have good kids, you need to sacrifice to have good kids. Then It's not an automatic thing. If you want to have good communities, you need to sacrifice to have good communities. And ultimately, and this is what we'll be talking about when we go through Jordan Peterson's episode 12, that you either are going to have the bands of a society that is not free, 
which are the ornaments of your society. They come with the ornaments of a society that is selfish, that is not as charitable as it should be, and have all these habits that you developed when you were in bondage of Egypt and that you're developing now because you are in the bondage of Egypt. Or you operate by the perfect law of liberty through fervent charity, not through forced offerings. And in that system of perfect law of liberty, you form the social bonds, which Dr. Malone talked about, which we've got an article up, social bonds. And those social bonds you will need in order to gather together in, to gather together in the name of Christ. Because if you're not gathering together in that system of charity and love, you're not, I don't care if you're saying Jesus. I don't care if you're saying Yahweh. I don't care if you're saying uh, Yeshua. You're not gathering in the name of Christ. You have to do it that way to be gathering in the name of Christ. Do it by charity. By pure religion through a daily ministration that is righteous, not covetous. And the modern church is simply not doing that. So here I am, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And part of this way of the Lord is to put down all those habits of thinking in the ways that you learned when you were in the bondage of Egypt. Because they keep turning your neck back to Egypt. So there's no point in God coming in closer because it would just burn you up. Unless you start putting down those ornaments, those habits, those practices that you picked up when you were in bondage. And in return, when you start putting those down, then you have to start picking up the righteousness of God. But you don't invent that. That will God will show you what that righteousness is. He will tell you, you know, you see this person that looks like they need help. Do you, do you help them? Before you help them... Do you ask God if you should help them? Or is it just your heartstrings going out and say, Oh, i got to help that person because, oh, they're, they're, oh, they look so sad. They look so forlorn. They, and their coat is so ragged. And they look so cold. So I, I have to go over and help them. And then after you help them, you find out they get in a better car than you got. Or maybe they don't. Maybe you, you give them 50 bucks and they say, oh, this will be so good. I'll be able to get a warm place to sleep tonight and a good meal and everything. And then they go and shoot up heroin. You know, you, you, you got to know how to help them. And the only way to know how to help them is by listening to what God has to say. So anyway, I don't see anybody raising their hand. So I will say peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. Uh, see us on the net. Go to preparingyou.com and join us on the net. Uh, and start forming that network because you're running out of time. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, 
books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.